getting ready to celebrate this fact that we have had people lay down their lives so that we can celebrate in this religious freedom that we have to be able to worship Jesus without uh, fear. And man, that's an amazing thing. So hope you're having an amazing Memorial Day weekend. Hope you're staying safe. Uh, this is one of those weekends for as a church where we were like, hey, you know, even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, like who knows who's going to show up. So some of you watching from the beach, if you're watching from the beach, like let us know about it so we can be jealous. If you're watching from home in your jammies, uh, post about it. Let us know what you, where you're at, where you're watching this morning. For everybody else, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Trent. I have the amazing privilege of being a lead pastor here at MCC, and we're so thankful that you would take some time out of your weekend to be around God's Word. We we believe that the church has never been closed, that you right now, where you're watching this, you are a part of the church. And so today, we're going to gather together around God's Word. We're going to lean into that. But before we do, I want to share some amazing news that that hopefully you've already been able to track in on, but I want to share it with you from my mouth through the stream. So this past uh, couple weeks, we, we have been able to see God move in an amazing way through and in our church. And so through that, We've been able to say, hey, God has taken care of us. We have a surplus, and we want to give financially to be able to meet needs here in our local community. And so over the course of of two weeks ago, we we said, hey, that week's offering, we want to go directly towards relieving local needs here in our community. And and I'm happy to announce officially kind of from the stage today, we posted a video about it, but I wanted to just celebrate you, church, for raising $59,183 to go to meet local needs in our community. I'm applauding you. Uh, I hope your you know, hearts and stuff is flying left and right through there. That's the official number. And so me and a team of people, we're, we're getting ready to, to really dive into what does it look like to be able to uh, allow that to pass through our hands and into our community as fast as possible. And I cannot wait to share what God is doing through you as we get ready to, to give that out, to share, share the love of Christ with our community. Hey, I want to give you a little bit of update. I know one of the things that, that everybody else is wondering on is like, okay, uh, this is cool and all. We're enjoying church at home. We're, we're enjoying being able to watch this from the beach or in our jammies. But the real deal is, man, we want to be back together. And I know a lot of people are asking that. I get asked that question a lot. So I want to give you an update. Uh, as of right now, we are still tracking to have June 7th be the day where we open back our doors, we reopen the church building of MCC and allow us to have two services, one at 915, one at 11. And again, those we are, we are busy working, making sure that those are all social distanced, that those are all clean, that those are all uh, as safe as possible for you and your family. So again, uh, June 7th is going to be that date where we are most likely, and again, we're tracking there. Again, all dates are subject to change. This is a very fluid situation. But the best we can tell, that's where we're going to land. Okay? Let me pray, and we're going to dive into God's Word. Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your grace and mercy. We thank you that, that there are some people who, like you, Jesus, laid down their lives so that we would have a chance to be a part of the family of God, so that we would be able to, to do what we're doing right here. And Jesus, most importantly, I thank you for, for setting that example of what sacrificial love looks like. And today, as we uh, gather around your word, as we gather around a table communion later, as, as people are gathered in homes and in workplaces and cars, or wherever they may be watching this, Jesus, I pray that they feel your presence enter the room. Like we just sang about a second ago, God, that we would become more aware of your presence. There was never a time when you either less there or more there, and so you are right with us right now, and I pray that we have an encounter with you. In your name, amen. 
I want to start out today by, by, by sharing something that I think is, is one of the frustrations that a lot of people figure out and, and walk into when you first either become a Christian or you encounter a Christian for the first time. And it's, it's this reality that you become a Christian and it's all like a lot of this hype is around this. I mean, maybe for you is at camp and it was this big emotional moment or maybe for you, you know, you heard just this uh, gut-wrenching story or, or maybe for you, you're at one of those uh, haunted trail things and people like literally scared the hell out of you and you're like, okay, nope, I don't want to go there. That's terrifying. I'm going, I'm, yes, Jesus, you can have my heart, you can have my keys, you can have everything you want. It's all yours, Jesus, uh, whatever it is. But you accept Christ or you say you're a Christian, you raise your hand, whatever. And then it's kind of like, well, what did I just do? And wh- what did I get myself into? And then a little bit more time goes on. And what you oftentimes find is you kind of go, well, wh- what's supposed to change? Like, what is actually different now that I believe this? And if you're watching this and, and you either uh, are, are doubting this whole Christianity thing, or you're, you're definitely a skeptic, or you're just watching this for some reason to like, Put more ammunition in your reasons to not be a Christian for some reason. I'm glad you're here. Whatever your reason, you're watching this. But if you're, if you're a skeptic or you're doubting, this is oftentimes the reason that skeptics and doubters of the Christian faith would say, why in the world would I need to adopt that belief system when the other people who have adopted that belief system, they live the same life that I am. They're doing the same things that I'm doing. We're going to the same parties. We're watching the same movies. We're gossiping the same. We're doing all the same things. I'd just rather do that without all the guilt that they have, knowing that they're actually breaking some of their God's rules. And for some of you, if you are a Christian, you've probably seen this in the mirror some where you go, man, I've been following Christ since I was 13. I I thought more in my life would have changed. I thought I would have looked differently. I thought I would have looked more like what I see in Scripture. But you probably had times too where maybe you dated someone and, and they said they were a Christian. And then they treated you a certain way. And you thought, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you should have been different. Or maybe you, you hired uh, you know, someone to come and, and do something, you know, mow your yard or something, and they had the Jesus fish on the back of their work truck, and you're like, okay, man, they're going to be good, honest people. And they came you know, once, and then they you know, broke into your house and stole your dirt bike. Who knows? Like, there are things that we go, okay, you're a Christian. You're supposed to be different. And I think there's this tension that we see and that we experience. We experience it in our own lives, and we see it on the other people who say, yes, I am a Christian. And then we see their life, and we go, ah, something doesn't match up. There isn't this noticeable different that makes us different. And so today I want to actually look at a life that truly becomes different when he has an encounter with Christ. He's the same person who we left off last week talking about. If you remember last week, uh, we, we ended with this idea that our pasts are never too messed up for Jesus. If, if the apostle Paul can become an apostle, can go from Saul to Paul, then man, there's no excuse for me to say my past is too messed up for Jesus. I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap of, of this guy, Paul, because he's going to be who we lean into and we talk about. We're, we're, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and go to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. But I'm going to give you a recap of this guy, Saul, Paul. He's kind of got two names. You know, a lot of people think, you know, it's, uh, well, well, when he started following Jesus, Jesus gave him a new name. The reality is um, Saul, Paul had two names from birth. And it was kind of like, um, imagine you were a, a missionary to, to Mexico. Uh, you you kind of could have two names. You, you, I'm, I'm John and I'm Juan or whatever. And that was kind of how he was given these two names. One was to help him when he was talking to a certain group of people and another was more of a Jewish name when he was talking to Jewish people. It was basically two variations of a very similar name. 
And that's who we see here. Now this guy, he had an active role in the first Christian martyr. So this guy, Stephen, he rose up. He's, he's preaching. He's talking about Jesus. And he ticks everybody who's religious, the religious leaders there who believe that Jesus wasn't the way, Jesus wasn't Messiah, and they kill him. And Saul is a guy who's not just an innocent bystander to this, but a guy who's actually you know, cheering the crowd on, saying, hey, let me help you throw these things at him. He's pulling their coats, he's holding their coats, and they're throwing rocks at this guy, Stephen, and they're killing him. And then, again, this guy Saul is a very much an overachiever. He's full of grit. He's like, I want to go above and beyond because I want this movement to be snuffed out. I, I don't believe Jesus is the way. I do not believe he is the truth. I believe he is a lie. And I want to snuff that lie out. And I want to do physical harm to the people who believe that his way is the way. And so he goes and he kind of gets in this like government-endorsed mission to go to Damascus and to be able to kill these Christians and, and put them in prison and separate families and do all this stuff. Jesus meets him there on his way to Damascus, knocks him off his donkey, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which I love because Jesus is identifying with the persecuted. And if you've ever felt beat up or broken down for being a Christian, Jesus is not just saying, hey, you persecuted one of mine. He's saying, you persecuted me, which is awesome to hear. He blinds him, knocks him off of his donkey, tells him to go in to a house back in Damascus. He sends this other guy, Ananias, to come and talk to him, to pray with him, to heal his eyes up so he can actually see again. Ananias baptizes Saul, comes up out of the water, receives the Holy Spirit. And then we catch up with what we see happen after this man, Saul, has an encounter with his Savior. If you've got a Bible, we're going to start out in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. This is what it says. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So how long, how long did it take him to start preaching about Jesus? It says at, at once. So like for us, this, this should give us a lot of encouragement. I think the big thing that this says to us is, man, at church, like within how we do life, for you, wherever you're at, if you have just now started being a believer, there is an active role for you. There is not some black belt of Christianity that you have to attain before you can start speaking up. There's not some black belt that you have to attain before you can actually start making disciples. I think that it's beautiful to see that Paul goes, hey, um, I now know the truth. And what we get to see here is an amazing testimony. Acts 21 keeps it going. Acts 9.21 it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Hey, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And wasn't he come here to, to take us as prisoners to the chief priests? So you have this group of, of the, the people who are following Jesus, and they're looking, at, they're looking at Saul, and they're going, what in the world? Like, this is, wasn't that the guy who was like ravenous dog trying to chase us down, and now he's preaching the same gospel message about Jesus that, that we did, they're, they're baffled, they're confused. Verse 22 says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is an, an eyewitness account. This is a, a window in to a life that is changed. You, you've been able to see it up close and personal, this guy who with intel that he had gathered from how people had scattered as the church began to be persecuted, he's taking his intel and he said, I know some people scattered to Damascus. I'm going to go there. I'm going to track them down. I'm going to bring them in. Jesus meets him. He has an encounter with Jesus. Once he gets there, he goes from being a guy who's persecuting Christians to a guy who's on the same team as the Christians, and he's winning over people who used to be on the team that he was a part of. And Paul 
he wasn't ashamed of who he was pre an encounter with Jesus. I love what it says in Acts 22, verse 45. He actually talks about what his life was like before he had an encounter with Jesus. If you've got a Bible, Acts 22, verses 4 and 5. If you don't have a Bible, obviously, it's on the screen right there. Or you can have it pulled up on the YouVersion app. This is what it says. Paul, talking about who he was. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Key thing there. Paul's not saying, hey, I was just kind of mean to these guys. He's saying, I, I played an active role in sending them to meet the Savior that I now worship. Heavy stuff. He said, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. If you're like me and you ever have a tendency to allow your past to be something that kind of cripples you from moving forward in your faith, then I think what Paul is saying here is huge. See, Paul understood that Jesus is truly the only thing that can remove shame. Like a good season will not remove your shame. Never doing that sin again is not going to remove your shame. Jesus is the only thing that can remove your shame. And what Paul understood, and I said this last week, I'll say it again here. He grasped this reality on a soul level that the very sins of his past were the exact same things that God was saying Even though those sins held my son to the cross, I'm not going to hold those sins against you, Saul. I'm actually going to allow that sin to turn into a testimony of how I can use you to reach other people. And I love that. I love how God does amazing things and he redeems a past. He takes our mess and he uses it. Because Paul was this guy who, who was seriously, guys, he was going 100 miles an hour in the absolute wrong direction. Where... Whereas the uh, other apostles, they were somewhat, you know, they even talked about it here in Acts, we read a couple weeks ago, that they were just uneducated fishermen and everything else. That's not Paul's story. Paul was educated. Paul was likely wealthy. Paul knew the scriptures backwards and forward, everything in the Old Testament. He, he likely had the majority of the entire Old Testament memorized. He had leadership, he had authority, and he was devoted. But here's the deal. He was devoted to the wrong thing. He was devoted to religion. He was devoted to keeping rules, to keeping laws, to keeping regulation. He was devoted to his old path. And he wasn't devoted to Jesus. And what we see here is he actually starts preaching. He starts preaching the message. And again, this was a guy who knew all of the Old Testament. And, and, and as he's, he's reading this and as he's had this encounter with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now allowing him to be able to take these truths that he encountered in the Old Testament and realize that everything, every single word and letter in the Old Testament was all pointing towards Jesus, someone who up until this point he had missed. And he's not just preaching these seeker-sensitive, friendly sermons. Uh, Again, I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus chose Paul is that if Paul was going to do it, Paul was going to give it his all. He was going to go all the way. And so he's preaching, you know, apologetical sermons to these people there, and he's showing them really who Jesus is. And his message has now become Jesus, 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 which leads me to my first point. The first change that we see in Paul and the first change that we see when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit is we have a different talk. We have a different talk. And now, what I mean by this, and the reason I'm talking about these changes is because, like I said when I started out, 
man, so many people, they, they start a relationship with Jesus, or, or they get baptized, or, or they, they pray a prayer, and we go, okay, well, nothing is changing. So my hope today is, as I walk through some of these points that we see in Paul's life, is that you begin to realize, maybe for the first time, these are actually the changes that should happen in a person's life when they follow Jesus. So the first thing we see happen in Paul's life, he immediately starts talking different. How do you talk? If you, if you are a follower of Christ, how did how you talk change after you started a relationship with Jesus? Now, hear me on this. I'm not necessarily talking about the words that you said. I'm not saying, oh, I used to say, you know, 15 cuss words, you know, every five minutes, and that was just my life. I'm not so much as concerned with that. I'm not so much concerned about what you said. I'm more concerned about what you talked about. See, because all of us, we tend to talk about what we care about. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, I will not give a rusty nail for your religion if it can be quiet about it. That which is nearest to the heart is generally most on the tongue. I love that. He said, I don't want to give a rusty nail for your religion or for your, for your relationship that you supposedly have in Jesus if it's not actually something that you talk about. And Seriously, guys, think of any other thing where that is not true. Like every single one of us, whether you want to be or not, you are actually an evangelist. You're an evangelist of something. Whether it's your favorite place to eat tacos, making street tacos. Your favorite place to eat ice cream, scoops. Your favorite football team, I'm not going to tell you that one. I don't want to cause dissension. Everybody is an, is an evangelist of something. And so when I say that when we become a Christian, it changes what we talk about. What that means is now Jesus, as he is now the closest thing, not just on our heart, but in our heart, living out of us, he should find its way through our language. We should find ourselves talking about him more and more. We should find ourselves, like Paul, proclaiming him, talking about him. And where this comes to play is really in simple areas with the people you're around. Paul's not saying you have to become this, you know, a YouTube preacher. He's not saying you have to go Facebook Live every Friday and, and, and post a Bible study. I think what Jesus is after is a much more simple thing. Like for those of you who are parents, on a daily basis, are you reminding your kids that Jesus loves them? He created them, that they are perfect because they are his. For those of you who are, are, are in a marriage relationship, is Jesus in your home, through your words, are you talking about him? At your workplace, with your friend group. And so are, am I saying that I have to like preach and talk about Jesus every single day? That's, that's kind of extreme. Is it? Like again, what's most nearest to your heart is what comes out of your mouth. So one of the first things we see happen here with, with Paul is, is when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, the way he talks changes what he talks about changes and my fear is that for so many of us we profess christ we, we say yes jesus i believe in you but then we still talk about the same things the world talks about we still get so focused and consumed with the success or the failure we so get consumed with what's going on and and we forget that there's something much bigger going on and now as a follower and a believer of christ i am a part of that something bigger so my prayer is that we would be a people who have the love of Jesus 
near to our hearts and coming off of our lips. Let's dive back into our text. Acts chapter 9, verses 23 and 25. It says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So again, the same people who sent Saul to Damascus to go kill Christians are now going, yeah, we're going to have to take you out, bro. They're saying, we're going to have to kill you. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gate. So Damascus was a city, had four walls all around it. There's one way in, one way out. They just hang out at the gate, and they're like, all right, he's going to have to leave sometime. But, but his followers, so Paul has gotten to Damascus. He has built some relationships with believers. He's got followers by this point. He has even risen to a place where he is a leader. A leader's got followers. Took him by night, and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in a wall. Now I read that, and like at first glance, like me as a visual thinker, I, I love to see like Paul just kind of like just floating down through this basket. Like that's kind of a cool thing to think about. But on a heart level, I'm going to be real with you. This is a hard verse to read. And I don't want this verse to be true. Because what you see in this verse, it kills our excuse to withhold forgiveness from people. Because think about these people. Like, these are the very same people. Some of them would have been close friends with people who Paul had put in prison, who Paul had potentially killed. And here they are. And I can't, I can't reason any other way than by the influence of the Holy Spirit. They have now forgiven Paul, this person who murdered one of their close friends. And they're doing everything they can. Not to get retribution. Not to get payback. But to actually save his life. See, there's something peculiar about you if you have the Holy Spirit. And you do things that most people would never do. Goes on, Acts 9, 26 through 30, says this. They finally bust him out. They say, hey, you got to get out of Damascus. They're going to kill you. They blow him in the basket. And it says, when he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples. So the people like you know, uh, you know Mark and, and Matthew and, and Peter and, and James and John and all these guys who, who were leading the church there in Jerusalem, he, he comes back and he's, he's trying to join in with them, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And honestly, like, can you blame them? But Barnabas, thank God for some Barnabas in our lives, some people who will stand in the gap and say, no, 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 I'm going to vouch for this person. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoke directly to him. And now in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the same name of Jesus. And so Saul, he stayed with them, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So he's getting killed, death threats all over the place. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off. To Tarsus. I said, Paul, like, everybody's trying to kill you. We're going to send you to your house. We're going to send you back to Tarsus. You're like, we're going to have to recoup. Like, you're a go-getter, but we're going to have to send you out. And so let's, let's again, let's, let's track with Paul here. He leaves Damascus uh, because Jews were trying to kill him. He comes to Jerusalem. The disciples are totally sketched out. They're like, hey, um, hold up. Uh, I don't believe that you are who you say you are. You're trying to trick us. And then Barnabas has to vouch for him. He says, no, 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 he's my boy. We're good. Uh, believe in him. He had an encounter with Jesus. There's no denying the way he's preaching. There's no lying in this. He is who he says he is. He starts preaching to these Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem, which are devout, which like have their stuff memorized or are buttoned up and put together. And they go, hey, we're trying to kill him too. And so Paul 
leads a life that was set up that was pretty good. And now we see this guy who in the short little passage of scripture has two different groups of people killing it. And you know, one of the other things that's fascinating about this, and we've seen this even in our own day and age, you may have experienced this, oftentimes when you become a Christian, you actually face opposition from Christians. And they're very quick to doubt whether or not your conversion or your faith is actually real. And they want to know, hey, hey, like, how can we know for sure? Like, we saw this happen with Kanye West. People are like, okay, well, but like, is he for real? Like, I don't think you have to know for real. That's not up to you. God's called us to be faithful. He hasn't called us to be investigators. And so when we look at a guy like Paul, one of the things that you have to realize is he's got all this trouble going on around him. And it's interesting for us to know, and it leads me to my second point, that when the Spirit fills, we actually have a different type of trouble. When when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, well, again, one of the things that changes is what was troubling to you now becomes not quite as troubling, but it doesn't just go away and you're just like peaceful, easy going. You actually get a new type of trouble. See, Paul, like his big trouble, his thing that he was trying to stomp out, the biggest trouble for him in the world was Christians. He has an encounter with Christ, and it changes he finds a new set of trouble. And see, when you think about a guy like Paul, you got to understand that before Christ, he was fueled by religion and his greatest problem was Christians. And after Christ, he is fueled by Christ and his greatest problem is religious people. And so what I want you to understand here, guys, is Jesus changes our troubles, but not in the way that we think he would oftentimes. See, it's always kind of confusing to me. Sometimes like I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll kind of express or cite why they don't believe in Jesus. And they'll usually cite something traumatic or something hard that happened in their life. And again, things that are real life things. Well, I got cancer or, or my sister died or uh, this traumatic thing happened or, or she ruined my family or this bad thing happened. And they cite that as a reason as to why they can't believe in God. And why they won't follow Jesus. And I think about that, and I, it kind of reminds me of like this idea of like, imagine you came to me, and because I drive an exotic sports car, a 2007 Toyota Corolla, you were like, man, I want that car. I, I love it. I love how it's kind of silvery, gray, and dirty and, and man I, there's something about it I, I love it I, I want that car and you came to me and said I want that and I said listen before I sell you this car I, I gotta let you know some things about it like when you first crank it up in the morning especially if it's a little cold outside it's gonna sound like a demonic pig squealing like and then it'll stop real quick and sometimes it's I don't know like in the summertime you get in and there's just this smell and I don't, I don't know what the smell is but it just kind of has a weird smell to it and when you put the brakes on, like sometimes if you hit them too, too fast, it, it'll give you a little bit of jerk. And you were like, whatever, I just want the car. And, you, and I sold it to you. And then two weeks later, you come back and you go, man, there's a demonic pig inside this car. It smells like Fritos and onion rings. And, and, and something weird happens with the brakes when you stop. And I'd be going, but man, I told you that you were going to have trouble with this car if you got it. I think in the same way God looks at us when we go crazy or we can't believe that we would experience any trouble in this life and goes, hey, I told you that in this life you will have trouble. But I also told you to take heart because I have overcome that trouble. 
And so to you, wherever you're watching this from, like I know there are some of us who are experiencing trouble on all sorts of different levels. Some of you are experiencing uh, uh, mental and emotional health trouble right now. You're experiencing this, this uneasiness, this, this tension that you feel like is always running in your heart. And your mind's always going. Some of you, have, you've experienced marriage trouble. You've experienced health trouble. But I want you to understand is that when we put our faith in Christ, we get a different type of trouble. We saw this happen in Paul's life. Man, let me read to you the trouble that he experienced as he followed Christ. You got a Bible you can flip there. If not, I'll just read it to you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. This is Paul. Again, a guy who had kind of a, a, a good, decent life. You know, he, he was willing to risk it. But he started following Jesus. And, and listen to this anti, like, unicorns and rainbows, peace, health, and wealth life that would supposedly come if you follow Christ. This was Paul's life. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger in false brothers. I have labored and told and have often gone without sleep. That's a doozy right there. That was a kicker. I, I got to have my sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led to sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, is to be praised forever. He knows that I am not lying. That's a pretty good resume. And there's a lot of trouble that you see in Paul's life here. And as we look through Paul's life and we see this trouble, I think it's a little bit puzzling because you see this guy who went from this life of pomp and circumstances, a life who was you know, government funded, who was being able to have what he had, leadership authority, he was kind of being able to go forward and he was the oppressor, not the oppressed, and he goes to being the oppressed. And I gotta imagine at, at times as he's being stoned and whipped and, and having rocks thrown at him and naked and, and, and sitting out on the sea just kind of floating around for a few days, that he's got to be having moments where he's going, Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. I don't know about you, but I've had some of those moments in my life where I've just gone, Jesus, like, I didn't sign up for this. This is too much. See, what I think made the difference for Paul in regards to him being able to deal with the trouble that he dealt with. I think the only reason he was able to deal with the trouble that he dealt with is because Paul had found something that was more troubling than the trouble he experienced. And it was because he was actually connected to what troubled God's heart. See, I think in life, oftentimes we just think about life from our perspective and the things that worry us, bother us. Man, am I ever going to be able to eat at a restaurant again? Am I ever going to be able to go to one of my kids' baseball games again? Am I ever going to be able to, you know, have my retirement find its way back in? My my, my house value is plummeting. All these things, we're going, man, I, I see all the trouble around us. But I wonder if we ever stop to realize, what is the thing that is most troubling to the heart of God? What is it? 
See, this thing that was most troubling to the heart of God is the very thing that allowed Paul to get through the trouble that he faced. And it's this, that there were people who were outside of the love of Jesus Christ, did not have a relationship with him. See, I don't want to make light of what trouble you may be facing. But the true trouble that we have in this life is the reality that there are people who don't know Christ around us. That should be the most troubling thing to you and I. The most troubling thing to us should not be, am I going to get coronavirus? The most troubling thing to us is not when are things going to go back to normal. The most troubling thing to us should be, there are people around me who don't know Jesus. There are real people who are going to spend a real eternity in a real place. And I don't know if they know what I know. I don't know if they're going where I'm going. So Paul was deeply troubled by this and allowed him to get through everything. And so maybe you would take that prescription to allow your heart to actually be troubled by the things that are troubling the heart of the Father and see if the troubles that you face on the earth may not go away, but maybe you're able to see them in a different way. The next thing we see happen in the life of Paul is that when he is filled with the Spirit, we realize that he actually finds a different tribe. He, he finds a different group of people that he is actually spending time with. And again, this one is kind of one of those kickers for us as Christians. And when we look back about, okay, I believe in Jesus. I, I put my faith and my trust in him. But, yeah, I still kind of go the same places I go. I work with the same people I work with. I take my lunch break with the same people I do. We joke about the same things that we've always joked about. And, you know, my family, you know, they're crazy and wild and everything else. But that's just, you know, they're, but they're family. And he's doing all this. you got to realize that Paul went from being around a certain entire group of people. And he completely shifted. He has a new tribe, a new group of people that he is actually with. And I think this is one of the things that hangs up so many Christians. I think this is the reason why so many people look exactly like they did two, way, two weeks, two months before they accepted Christ. And who they are now. And it's because the group of people who they were around never shifted and never changed. And now hear me on this. I'm not necessarily saying the group of people that you were around were bad or immoral or heathens and sinful and, you know, throwing, you know, drunken parties and, and, and doing drugs and robbing people. That, that's not what I'm saying. But there's a difference in being around people who are headed in the same direction as you, have the same spiritual fervor as you. And so what group of people is it for you who's most influential over who you are when nobody's watching? Who is that? For me in my life, the group of people who's my tribe, who's become very influential for me, is my community group. Now, when you think about a community group, I'm talking about a group of people who you gather, meet maybe once or twice a week. We've been meeting on Zoom a whole lot lately. But this group of people, guys, there's something different. Now, at the beginning, like, was it a forced friendship? You bet. It was definitely a forced friendship. For everybody in the group, until it wasn't. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit actually does. It, it enables you when other people are going the same direction that you are, after the same things that you are, you have the same values and the same love for Christ as within a group. Man, something changes. And for some of you, you've probably come to this realization in this season that you need more of that. 
that you need more people in your life who you go, hey, man, if things hit the fan and, like, there really was some kind of crazy apocalypse, like, I knew I would have some people who would look after me. Like, I think, my, like, when I look at my group, I think we're good. We got a guy who's really good with computers. We got a guy who's really good with everything that has to do with a tool. We got me, and I'm, like, an encouraging, and I can talk our way out of stuff. You know, we got a lot of women who got a lot of, you know, amazing things. We got some wild and crazy kids who maybe, you know, some days we want to auction them off and get more supplies. But, man, I really do think, when I think about our group, I don't think there's too many things that we could face that we couldn't get through together. And I think that's what Jesus wanted for his church. I think that's what he wanted for you. For you to be in a group of people who you would begin to say, man, if I've got them in my corner, if I've got them behind me, encouraging me, holding me accountable, there's nothing that I can't get through. And I pray that you begin to have that. If you don't have that in your life, that's what we're here for. We want to help you get connected into that. Uh, you know, reach out, post it in the comments. You can send me a direct message. Do everything we can to get you in a group, whether it's a virtual group or a real-life group that's getting ready to meet. We want to do that because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, things change. The way you talk changes, your trouble changes, and your tribes change. And my hope and my prayer is that we would live changed lives because the Holy Spirit is filling us up. Today, as we close... My prayer is that some of you may allow the Holy Spirit to change you for the very first time. And if that's you and you feel like, man, uh, this is what I want. I I want something more real. I want something more true. I I want what you're talking about. Then maybe for you, you pray this with me. Holy Spirit, I I thank you that you've opened my eyes up to the truth that my ways would never work but that Jesus gave his life for me to live a new way. So my old life would be gone and the new life would come. I give you my life. I surrender to you. Fill me up so I can have a life that's different for your glory, not mine. In your name, amen. As I pray that, I know there are some of you who your side of things is going, yeah, I have this Holy Spirit. And again, when you receive, if you're a believer, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you didn't get a half measure. You didn't get a tenth and and you got to grow on that thing. You got all of it. And so there needs to be maybe this awakening to go, man, something has got to be more real. Like something has got to be different. So this is not a, a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of message. Again, what did Paul have to do or Saul at that time? What does Saul have to do to have an encounter with Jesus? Nothing. Did he try? Did he force it? No. Jesus collided with him. And so my thing for you is allow Jesus to collide with you. He's right there with you. Meet him. Experience him. Maybe now for the very first time in a very new way. Let's pray and then we're going to receive communion. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we can gather together under the teaching of your word, under the worship of our sounds, and just be able to lift you up. And I pray as we do that today that you're magnified. You're made to be a God who, to a world looking around, can actually see you for who you are. I pray you would meet my friends, God, who, who heard this word today and are desperate for change. That you'd fill them up. That things would actually begin to change. That their lives would look different, more different than ever before. I think the world is desperate for something different from us as believers, Jesus. 
that I'm not praying that things go back to normal. I'm praying that we go back to you. And whatever comes of that, we let it come. In your name, amen. I invite you now to grab whatever elements you're going to participate in communion with. Jesus, on the the night that he was going to be betrayed, to be what would initialize and start this unstoppable move of God, he knew it was coming. He knew it was going to happen. And he looked around at his guys, these apostles. He said, guys, this this bread, this this is going to be like my body. In a few days, you're going to see my body torn apart for you. So that you can change things. So that my body may be, may be torn apart. But I've never been about my body. I've always been about my spirit. And my spirit is actually going to uh, find its way into your lives. And that very same spirit has now, if you are in Christ, it, it is in you. And so we take of the body that was broken. And remembrance and realization that his body is to live through our body. Taste and see. On that very same night, he said, this wine is it's my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. It's as if he was saying, you are now a part of a new family. And in this new family, things are different. We, we don't do things the way they used to do. And we're going to be defined. What's going to unite us, what's going to bind us together is this blood that was shed for you. And my prayer is that you know that you're a part of a new family. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you're a new thing. You've got a new blood in your veins, and there's power in that. The blood of Christ for you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. You are so good. Lead us not into our sins any longer. Create some new paths. Create some new ways. Would you be more near to our heart and on the tip of our tongue? With the things that trouble you, Jesus, begin to actually trouble us and you ignite us around a group of people with the commonality of your shed blood in a stronger way than it has ever been before we love you Jesus we thank you in your name amen church God is on the move he's doing big things and I cannot wait uh, to share with that with you guys, we've already begun to, um, with the generosity that you guys poured out for our, our COVID-19 uh, relief offering, uh, we've already begun to make some great partnerships. We've got some ball rolling in that. And I want to encourage you guys to continue uh, to give. We're going we're gonna to allow this season to be one where the church does not lose momentum, does not lose steam, where the mission of God continues to go forward and faster. 
And I'm inviting you to trust God. And maybe for some of you, you've kind of been watching as an innocent bystander. You're, you're worried and you're fearful. There would be no greater action to say to an enemy who's, who's trying to overcome you with fear and worry than to take a step of trust in your Heavenly Father today. And for you, I don't know exactly what that step of trust could be, but I know one that could be, and it's just taking the step of trust to give financially to a move of God. And if that's you, uh, you can text. Uh, the, the links are down there. Uh, you can give online at mcc.org. Uh, We'd love to be able to connect with you in that way. Church, I love you. I thank you. And I can't wait to be back with you soon.